Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Uh, in this episode, I will uh, look at Blow Ups Happen um, by by Heinlein. This was published in 1940 in that first set of stories that, that Heinlein published. Um, I think this one came after uh, Coventry and uh, uh, If This Goes On the last couple of stories we looked at and um this one um i guess this is technically set in the future history narrative but it's set earlier in that that storyline while coventry is is kind of more on the tail end of that of that narrative so this one is set more more closer to like stories like let there be light and thematically i think it has a lot of overlap with uh let there be light especially in um the focus on energy and creating a kind of a post-scarcity energy source for for the country dealing with like to a lesser degree intellectual property it's not as uh, on the on the uh, you know directly in our eyes like in let there be light but there's still this idea of, of kind of of innovating and challenging corporations and and uh their you know their agenda and let there be light the solution was to basically make solar energy public domain now i don't quite know why we've gone from a th that story seemed to open up the door to unlimited solar energy i don't see why we have to move to to um nuclear energy nuclear fission energy which is seems almost a step back because nuclear energy essentially is still steam engine technology you're just turning you know rotating a turbine it's just we use a different source to turn it, whether it's hydroelectric or steam or or oil or or you know nuclear power. But anyways, sometime after Let There Be Light, we see the development of nuclear fission en uh, energy, and that's the main theme of this of this story. Um, and so when the story sets up, it, it, when, when the story begins, we're basically in this power plant, and work there is highly regulated and highly controlled because any mistake any accident can be catastrophic it can lead to a blow up right that's in the title blow ups happen and it's seen as a constant risk so our characters are constantly obsessed with with making sure workers always do the proper thing at the right time and don't behave strangely in any way so the early focus especially of the early part of the tale is quite interesting actually it's about psychologically analyzing workers through their actions and then removing workers or moving them or giving them different jobs or retiring them when their behavior is at all out of the ordinary so we get a story of a, of a guy who brings a wrench to a, like a some kind of control panel or, or something like that and that's odd behavior that's not the normal way you would approach a machine like that so he gets pulled off of production and sent to basically have psychological oversight and then he said well it wasn't that that i found this wrench in a place that shouldn't have been i took it with me and i then went on with my job it wasn't 
I wasn't going to use this in a threatening manner against the machinery or whatever. But nevertheless, there's so little room for mistakes because the slightest mistake can lead to a explosion that could kill maybe thousands or millions of people, devastate a region of the country, that the workers have to be under strict control and only do the proper thing. Which, um, in a sense, is, I think, very, a bit forward-looking. Um, maybe not. Obviously, it's, it's ridiculous to have a power source that's that prone to accidents, especially if, as in this timeline, you have solar energy. Something that's never really talked about. Like maybe in, we'll, 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 that bridge will be established in some other future history story that we look at. But it's, I mean, it doesn't make much sense. It's kind of, in this way, it's kind of like the roads must roll, which is also a future history narrative that's set earlier in the timeline too, where you have such a crucial institution, in the, like in the roads, or in this case, the fission reactors, in which it's so easy for something to go wrong, where one person can make a mistake and shut down the whole economy. In the roads must roll, it was you know terrorists, radical uh, engineers trying to um, push a functionalist agenda. They're able to basically th risk the shutting down of the nation. Here, it's one disgruntled worker or one worker who has a bad day or or makes a slight mistake or is absent-minded for a moment. It could lead to a blow up. You wouldn't. In reality, you wouldn't have something this dangerous, I don't think. Obviously, we put workers at, in danger all the time, but and workers die all the time in the workplace. And capitalism has no gumption of doing of putting that risk on workers and on the population. But this this level of of risk seems uh, not quite believable to me. But maybe that's Heinlein's point. Maybe Heinlein's focusing on how institutions and business and capital doesn't really care about the externalities. That might be the, the radical reading. I think it is the, the radical reading of blowups happen is that the business class will accept any amount of risk for, for profit. <clears throat> and he's just pushing it to an extreme that I think it's even beyond what is, what's reasonable in, in the economy. But th the more I think about it, maybe if we take it just as a metaphor for pollution, or if we take it more, you know, a metaphor for ex externalizing risk to other countries, it becomes more believable, I suppose. But uh, the way it's presented here, it does seem, you know, you'd think you'd put some more thought into the, into how the plant operates before you start implementing it. But anyways, it, it, it's it's something to think about, I guess, with this story. It, it, it it's of course in the it's it's in the title, right? So it's definitely clearly on Heinlein's mind as he writes it. So that's the main story. So then we move to how our our engineer, our scientist protagonist, our classical Heinlein protagonist, is able to innovate a solution to the to the problem. Um, but first, there's a realization that comes in the course of the story, and that is something we're going to see again in Rocket Ship Galileo, and that's the idea that the moon had residents at one point, but the, that civilization was destroyed. Uh, in Rocket Ship Galileo, it's implied that it was a nuclear war that uh, destroyed them, and so the the now I don't know if this was in the science journals at the time, or there are questions about it, but the the question is why 
do you have these like lakes on the moon these areas without craters and you have other areas with craters and it seems that there was maybe areas with water at one point um, and if there was and those didn't seem to get hit by the craters um, now my understanding is that that's not true that there wasn't there was never water on the moon but anyways uh Heinlein is saying well there's something that doesn't quite make sense about the craters on the moon that it couldn't have just been meteorites and asteroids and things like that impacting the surface it must have been um a nuclear war or some some devastation of some sort so in blow-ups hap blow up happens blow-ups happen it's implied that they that civilization on the moon had a similar power source to this fission reactor and the breakdown the blow-up actually didn't just destroy a region or a city or a country it destroyed the whole planet and so it led to a chain reaction that destroyed all life on the moon so then the, the question is like how what do we do about this this knowledge and of course one solution is innovation and another solution we're offered in the course of the story is public pressure and government pressure and challenging capital challenging the business interests to force them to create a safe product for the people because their product is in the public interest and the production of that product in this case energy is potentially devastating to the public so therefore they need to be reined in in some way so anyways uh the f once this knowledge is known that a blow up will be catastrophic for the whole planet and probably ending life on earth the scientists then mobilize and this kind of foreshadows i think the scientist movement of the late 1940s early 1950s where you have this some some of the same scientists who helped develop uh the bomb the atomic bomb worked in a, in a movement to try to push for the disarmament and the destruction of nuclear weapons. So there was this hope for nuclear abolition early on in the, you know, right after World War II, um, and a lot of public pressure to try to do that. Of course, the Cold War prevented that uh, effort from being successful, but the scientists were engaging in that um, and saying, well, we need to, you know, undo this technology we developed. And so the question is like, how can we do this? Because the factories are public. And so an engineer who might uh, re just refuse to participate in the, you know, protest by quitting or lodge some other protest or complaint would just be fired and replaced by someone who'd be willing to do it. And you'd always find someone who'd be willing to do it. So the challenge has to come to the public and, you know, or through the government. And those, they talk, discuss how to do this. The, the scientists, the engineers who are aware of the risk talk about how, Maybe the government can, you know, Congress can issue, you know, rights of, um, of, uh, what's it, imminent domain on the factories, nationalize them maybe, um, or just go to, the, or they, they say maybe we'll just go to the public and we'll start pushing people not to consume this product because of the risks it entails. So they go through all these, this gamut of strategies. Um, but Heinlein being Heinlein, he wants to find the solution ultimately in the brain of the scientist. And so what we get here is a solution that basically involves creating, uh, putting, creating a new type of fuel from the fission, nuclear fission reaction that can be produced in um, space. So the risk will be exported to space where an accident won't destroy the planet and then a safe fuel is created as a byproduct. 
And so that's where the story ends up. We we kind of I think we miss a chance here to have a, a slightly more radical interpretation, kind of like we have with Let There Be Light, where we che- we we actually take on the corporations directly uh, by in that story it's by making the energy source public and releasing the patent to everyone so it can be it can be spread quickly and anyone can just use it maybe pay a small fee to the inventor but it would, you know everyone would have access to it here um now that of course is a technological innovation itself right but and, and there they're kind of struggling against the old generation of, of energy production technologies here we have an established institutionalized power source that it's, it can't really be challenged politically. That's the sense I get. So, or at least Heinlein's a little fatalistic about that aspect of it. Now, the threats are given that, well, we'll go to the public. We'll, we'll, we'll try to get them against you. But, it's, but that's not the solution we get. The solution we get is a, essentially a technological solution. And I think that's a slightly disappointing, but I think it makes sense in the world that Heinlein has, has developed here especially his protagonists being the kind of people that they are. So with this solution, this technological solution, then they are able to put the pressure on the owners of the factories to make the proper choice. Uh, Now, and and they do. So it ends on an optimistic note that this new innovation is going to allow for a safe, a relatively safe form of, of energy. Um, and that's basically the story. I actually found, I've been reading this alongside uh, Rocket Ship Galileo, even though it's going to come much later in the series. I've been reading it. And that's, that story has a lot of parallels to this one in it being set in kind of the early days of space travel. Um, and rocket technologies are key in both. And the question of how to harness and use nuclear um, reactions um, for space travel or for energy are, are themes in both of those stories. Um, what's, if, if you haven't read Rocket Ship Galileo, the, the key technological question there is how can we create essentially an atomic rocket? And that's part of the story as well. But more importantly is this idea that there was a civilization on the moon that was destroyed by, by technology, by the same technologies that are being used on Earth. In Rocket Ship Galileo, it was there's actually two parts to it. One is the the former Mars or Moon people were destroyed in a nuclear war, and the current threat, though that's that's an ancient threat. The current threat is Nazis on the Moon, who are planning to shoot like you know remnants of World War II, escape to the Moon and plan to use that as a base of operations for launching nukes at the Earth until they surrender and accept the. Uh, Nazi victory. Here, the threat is is actually I actually think this is a better story in in this way than Rocket Ship Galileo because it does, it's much more grounded I think in the world we're still living in. It, it's it feels realer, right? In that we have a corporation that doesn't care about the consequences of its of its actions. Or, you know, at the very least, it might make the right decision if forced to, or if the market forces them to, or there's a, a cheaper, still profitable alternative. But in lieu of that, they're going to go forth, put in the earth at risk. Right. So, it, you know, obviously he's not thinking about climate change, but maybe that's the thing that's closest to our, 
mind here, right? Um, now, I'm, I mean, maybe the more I think about it, maybe he's right. Maybe business interests, even if they knew the threat was imminent every day, one little mistake could lead to the destruction of the planet. As long as there was a profit at the end of the quarter, they'd be willing to do it, right? But that's not quite the world we have. We have a world where, of course, geostates might could make a mistake that could end life on the planet. But, you know, corporations are destroying the planet in a much more slow and gradual way through through pollution and, and carbon and all that. So as I talk about it, I think I'm coming around to it. I, um, that, that actually, he's right. He's right to portray the, the owners of the factories the way they, they do. Um, now, another aspect that's, I think, really important to ponder on this story is in a way, way it kind of does fit with, uh, um, especially like Coventry and for us the living. And that is this idea of psychology developing to a certain way that it can basically be a cure, right? Psycho it's not treatment. It can be a cure for ailments. And that the, the psychologist being a force that can break down, understand, analyze, and cure people rather than just like analyzing and treating. Like, I think we're still in the world today where people can get treatment, people go to therapy, people can be analyzed, people can face all kinds of treatments. I don't think many would talk about cure, uh, uh, curing mental illnesses. But Heinlein really believes that that's possible, that somehow the, and this feeds, of course, into the Dianetic stuff that um, kind of comes out of some of Heinlein's work and the work coming out of Astounding at the time, you know, Hubbard and Campbell and, and Heinlein are all, are, are all very interested in this stuff. But there it is. Uh, and, and that's just a, something we got to get used to when we read Heinlein stories. But I was really fascinated by the early parts of the tale where we have this factory where there has to be this direct oversight of every moment of the workers lives like scientific management but it's like a, it's almost like a surveillance state because you have to assume the worst of any abnormal behavior and what could that be well maybe walking a little bit differently yawning uh picking up the wrong tool at the wrong time or doing something in the different order right is a tr triggers an investigation right that's because the risk is so so high and a huge part of the business infrastructure and, and, and institutional bureaucracy is regulating. Even the manager says like, yeah, you, you don't like being observed. I'm observed even twice as much as you are. So we're kind of all observing, being observed by, by the psychologists. Um, that does speak to me of things like scientific management and corporate surveillance and the things uh, we see, like, you know, you, you apply for jobs and you have to take certain weird tests that are trying to determine some of your psychological assumptions. And they help use that to determine what they want to hire you. And, of course, we have, you know, computer keystrokes being observed and, and how often are you, you working? And we have uh, closed caption TV technologies that allow managers to observe workers at every moment. And I think that's also very true to life. So I think there's a lot in blowups happen that 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 is politically quite radical and significant to us when we read it from our own era. And I think he's being very prescient in many ways, both the willingness to risk the lives of others for profit, but also the 
the treatment of workers as targets of, of corporate surveillance. So I guess that's it. It's it's quite a long story. It's 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 almost a novella length. I think the audiobook version was about an hour and a half, two and a half hours. Um, it's probably I think it's forty pages, thirty five, forty pages in Astounding, which um, it's pretty lengthy. Um, the version I listened to is is from a later publication of Blowups Happen. So this was originally published in nineteen forty, but if you if you find the audiobook version of this tale, there's a mentions of like the Manhattan Project and Heinlein kind of builds up some of the, the history of the development of nuclear power, which is something, of course, that wasn't around in 1940. It was just theoretical. Uh, so I guess that's a whole nother prescient aspect of it, but it's it's a bit banal at this point, you know, to, to talk about that. But he, you know, other science, you know, it's in the air, but he's seen this as a power source which is, of course, something that really does come to, to, to life. But really the only change is he develops the threat in the context of like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and he, and he talks about the Manhattan Project. He adds that kind of stuff. He kind of um, fills in the story with stuff that really did happen in, in the, in the mid-1940s. So the rewrite, I don't think it adds much to the story. It doesn't change anything, essentially, but it does... Uh, help i guess make it feel more real to later readers who you know know about that know about the the manhattan project and and the actual developments in in nuclear power since then since since the since we entered the atomic age so um yeah a really good story i really really did enjoy this one i wasn't sure it's the title was kind of seemed kind of silly to me so i wasn't thinking too much of it but the more i got into it the more i was really drawn in by the story and and i think there's a lot to think about about our current predicament and our current relationship with our institutions that we rely on it's it's like when we turn on the light switch we are consenting to massive institutions that we don't have any say over it's you know in capitalist countries is presented as a democracy but very we actually have very few choices right um even though we have a cornucopia of products on the shelf it's really most of that stuff is is in the realm of monopoly capitalism right there's just a handful of corporations that's the rational and logical extent you know that's the logic of capitalism towards consolidation and monopoly um and we're there certainly with power so when you turn on a switch you know, you might vote for green energy, but you turn the switch, you're you're using coal, right? In, unless you're in certain places that have alternatives. Most of our energy still comes from fossil fuels. And we are consenting to that, but we don't have a choice, right? Um, and we, we sort of are forced to consent to all the negative aspects of that. Climate change, abusive workers, mining, you know, all all of that it's it's part of the package we get and we it's not avoidable and i think that's very much uh true in this in this story um now we get a nice solution i think that's my only criticism is you know i i read so much philip dick i kind of want the philip dick pessimism um in in these stories because philip dick would not end this story on a, on a happy note where the problem solved by a brilliant engineer who figures out oh we can just do this in space and 
trade, a safe fuel, um, you know, there'd be another aspect of it. Um, but there is still the darkness in the tale in the, when we look at kind of the history of the moon and the, and the brutality of, of the corporate elite to run these power plants. So overall, one of one of the better stories by Hanley I've read so far. So um, that's going to be it for now. Uh, let me know what you think of this um, this story. If you've read it, if there's anything I missed that you think is important to talk about, um, obviously I didn't talk about any of the characters. It's it's sometimes hard to do that with Heinlein, to be honest. I I do like his stories. I don't the characters. The guy King. I think he comes up again in the future history stories, but he's. You know they're not that interesting. They are basically these these brilliant scientists who can problem solve, and yeah, that's that's the kind of characters we get in his his tales. That's just the way it is, at least at this point in his career. So that's it for now. Um, yeah, you can send me an email at hundredpagescast at gmail dot com. Um, in the next episode, I'll um, look at. I think it's either universe or successful operation. One of those two. Maybe it's successful operation. I think is is next. Yeah, um, that'll be the next story I'll look at. So um, see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>